Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you very much for joining us. Your efforts to get this far are greatly appreciated. We are just embarking on a six episode series. It's gonna be released every Wednesday night. We'll be chatting to some brewers, directors, people who own bars and bottle shops. Anyone with interest and opinion about beer is a valid guest for the show. Welcome back. Episode four, Taplands Podcast. Thanks very much for listening last week. If you did, if you didn't, then there's no thanks for you. But you can go and check it out retrospectively and then you can reapply those thanks. I've not got a problem with that. That is absolutely fine with me. This week, we will be having a a good chat with Mark from Runaway Brewery in Manchester. had a little day trip over to Manchester to have a chat with Mark and also his colleague John the interview I did with John will be on next week's episode so without further ado here's Mark can we go back to the start of Runaway you've, you've been operating as Runaway Brewery for how long we sold our first beer just just under two years ago right always from this premises yep, yep. yeah and, and it was started by just yourself? Um, myself and a friend of mine from school called right. Darren, who, yeah. who actually lives down where we grew up in Northamptonshire. Right. And does, is Darren, is he hands-on in the business still? No, not really. No. Um, that's a little unfair. <laughs> <laughs> he, do, he, does, he does the duty returns and the, he looks after the financial side of it right. for us. And we drag him up here and make him work on the bar occasionally. Right. But um, so yeah, he's he's involved. Um, he, you know, he's involved in the sense that he's really interested in what we're doing. Right. But in terms of a physical hands-on, how often is he here getting mucky? Yeah, very rare. And he's fine with that. So we've not pushed oh, yeah. him into the office. <laughs> no, God no. He, he uh, he's not suited for this sort of stuff right. at all, really. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it's a nice split between. Yeah him dealing with a lot of the a lot of the kind of financial administration yeah. side of things which is which is pretty dull but it's easy to do remotely yeah and me kind of getting stuck in and having to learn how to make beer and you don't have to do you don't have to worry about all the, the all the, the, the i's being dotted and the t's being crossed yeah, he, he sorts all that out for you yeah to a degree we, we work together but yeah, yeah. so so you made you, you released your first beer from Runaway two years ago. Prior to that, were you were you brewing somewhere else, or what's your background? No, in beer? no, I'd never brewed in my life. You'd before. never home brewed or anything. No. So you just thought, right, I fancy making some ale. Let's have a crack. Pretty much. 
And you started off. You started off in uh, in, in in this premises as with you, this size kit. As you see it now, that's yeah. how we started. So, wow. um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I did a I did a short course. Yeah. I went and did a bit of work experience at a couple of breweries, uh, and we also hired a um, a more experienced brewer to help us up. Right. So first month we yeah. had a, we had a lot of help. Yeah. But um, from yeah from the end of month one onwards, basically it's been me. Yeah. You've got you've developed a decent a decent range of beers. You've released quite a few different styles, haven't you, in that time? Yeah, we have. Yeah. What makes up your core? Uh, core range, I suppose, is pale ale, IPA, yeah. necessary, yeah, and hopefully delicious. Uh, but also we did we do an American brown ale and a smoked porter, right? Uh, and I guess those were the two beers that Darren and I we sort of said to each other, okay, we've got we've got two that we know we're going to need. Yeah. What other two beers should we brew? So. He'd done a lot of travel in the States as part of his previous job yeah. and had got a real taste for American brown ale, so we designed something around that as an idea. Um, and I love the idea of, again, using an international influence, so German Rauch beer, yeah. to, to kind of put a little twist on a pretty standard British porter, I yeah. suppose. Neither of us are sort of massive hopheads, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. That, that seems to have been a, a fairly new invention, I suppose. <laughs> But um, both of us are interested in balanced beer, yeah. in in the flavours you get from malt and yeast mm-hmm. as much as you do from hops. So I suppose those other two beers, perhaps a little unusual for a core range, yeah. but um, we we like the fact that we do them, I and a lot of our customers like the fact that we do those as well as the pale stuff. And are, are you most of your customers Manchester? Or are you ex- are you not exporting? But are you, are you exporting out of the city far? Yeah. Um, these days we're selling a lot more in Manchester. Yeah. When we first started, it was probably only 40 percent. Right. Uh, we don't do any cascale. No. So all of our beer is key keg conditioned and bottle conditioned. That was a, that was a conscious decision before you before Very you started. Very much so. Very much so. Um, and one of the implications of that is that in a market like Manchester, mm-hmm. which is very cra- uh, cask led, yeah. we knew that um, we were going to find that difficult to start with mm-hmm. because there aren't so many pubs to go round. There aren't so many taps on rotation for keg beers for example so mm-hmm. a lot of our initial business was uh, was bottled and a lot of it mm-hmm. went nationwide and all, all yeah, internationally as well so for, for when you consider the tiny scale that we work at going that far afield straight away was was quite a yeah again it was a big challenge yeah. for us really so have you got have you got a Someone, someone looking after your sales, or you, is that just looking after itself pretty much? <laughs> um, I look after the sales. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's, it's basically John and I, really. Yeah. So, so you guys do. If everything, you think about you? every job that needs doing in a yeah. brewery, if if I'm not doing it, then poor old John yeah. gets it. <laughs> <laughs> so that yeah, sales, deliveries, uh, packaging. We, we bottle everything in house here. Right. Um, I guess to a degree, design, putting on events. And obviously making the beer. Busy so lads. yeah, very busy, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's what? Uh, what size is your kit? Five and a half barrel right. brewers barrels. So we get about seven hundred and fifty liters out. Do you dedicate each brew to either keg or bottle, or are you splitting each brew? We we sometimes split. We sometimes yeah. do one or the other. It depends on current demand. Sometimes we will work with um, some of the online clubs and things like that, like right. beer bods, for example. Yeah. They'll take a a big order of bottles at a time yeah. so we'll, we can brew specifically for that if yeah. necessary but I would say most of our stuff is split yeah. um, and I guess the split these days is probably a little bit higher on the kegs than it used to be so we may, we're maybe 60-40 keg, right. kegs for bottles now and we mentioned 
your core, what's what, what seasonals? Like, what, what's your approach to seasonal? Are you, do you do? Are you, are you doing the same ones every year, or are you, are you constantly just changing what, what, what you brew seasonally? Um, we've we've done a mix. Is the mm. honest answer to that. So it depends on the availability of ingredients, of right. course. Um, but we, yeah, we. I guess we do a mix. So things like, for example, in winter we tend to do the darker stuff. Autumn winter tends to be chocolate stouts, gingerbread stout, mm, that right. kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've only been going two years, so yeah. there aren't that many seasons <laughs> to have gone yeah. through. But um, we also do a sort of darker lager, which we, which we've done as a seasonal beer, and then you know, I guess it tends to be more rather than kind of picking a specific style and saying that that fits. Mm-hmm. We tend to think, what do we, you know, what are we going to want to be drinking in two months' time? Yeah. So our summer saison, for example, I mean. It's called a summer saison, so that gives you a clue as to yeah. when we think it's best drunk, I suppose. But um, I had one on Christmas Day; it was delicious. We were just so, talking about the same thing with John. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I was saying exactly the same thing. You know, even if it's a summer saison, I would happily drink a summer, yeah. a summer saison all year round. I think the difficulty we have is this is the difference between people who just enjoy beer yeah. and someone who has to sell beer. So, yeah. me, the guy on the phone. There are customers who literally got to September last year and said, I'm not buying summer saison, it's September, you're mental. <laughs> so like, well, it's okay. You know, drinkers are informed yeah. enough now to realise that that yeah. doesn't matter. But to a lot of buyers, that's still very crucial. So if you want a top tip for how to market beer, don't don't put any seasonality on it at yeah, all. Yeah, don't, don't, don't date it or anything. <laughs> just, just I, think, I think our friends yeah. at Cloudwater would probably tell you the same thing. Right. Who started out doing seasonal beers on, you know, yeah. on a full-season basis. Yeah. And they've had to move it to spring, summer, autumn, winter, I think, because that challenge is really very difficult. Yeah. you got a good relationship with those guys? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one of the reasons I got into the industry, right. genuinely, yeah. is I came from a very uh, kind of, oh, I guess corporate, but very competitive, mm-hmm. competition-led yeah. environment. And I like the idea that at a micro scale in brewing, it's much more of a community. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's always there's always some some folks you don't get along with, and the same way there's plenty that you do. But particularly here in Manchester, we're lucky. We've got a really good, solid group of sort of 10, 12 little breweries, mm-hmm. little brewers, most of whom are in the same boat, and therefore help each other out as much as possible. You know, we share deliveries, um, we share ingredients from time to time, and we're all of the view, I think, that the more variety there is, the better. So in that regard, we're all helping each other. It's not, it's very, it does help. It does help your life. You know, if if everyone is, if there is a community, it really, it just really makes life easier, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah. It it's, makes it's life nice. more pleasurable yeah. to yeah. live. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and, and you know, you have you surround yourself in, in your personal life with people you get on with, and it's nice if you can get on with the people you you, you know you meet and your work life. Of course, yeah. of course. There does seem to be a shared idea that we are to some degree all fighting the same battle yeah. which is to hopefully promote smaller smaller scale independent flavour focused beer over and above mass produced volume mm. stuff yeah. so we have that kind of common goal so you know we actually learn from each other we'll brew together um, if someone hasn't made a milk stout before they'll go and see mm. someone who has and, and, and find out a bit of the information they might need yeah. so it's not just kind of being friendly and going down the pub and having a few pints it if, if you don't share your experience and your your gr- growing knowledge, 
you find it's easy to, to just end up drinking your own beer sat in your own cave just doing your own mm. thing and the rest of the world kind of goes on around you and actually when you're relatively inexperienced and pro- probably not hugely well trained as most of us mm-hmm. aren't the best way to learn is from each other and from experience yeah. so it's a great way to do it I'm right, right. And, you know, everyone's got their own little skills everyone's had their own experiences and you can and if you can tap into that and, and share the wealth communally then it makes makes everything yep. go far easier oh, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely it's, it's it's a real positive element of the industry right now and, and you, you mentioned the reason why you got you got into it can you give us a bit more detail on that what what happened with you? How did you decide to leave whatever you're doing before and, and, and take up this as a, yep. as a business? Um, I'd never really enjoyed what I'd done before, mm. uh, which was working for um, kind of in a in a kind of architecture, consulting, engineering kind of mm. world. Um, I pretty much knew as soon as I qualified that I didn't really enjoy it that much. Right. I mean, sure, you're at work and there's projects you get involved with and people you get along with so it wasn't like I was hating my life or anything no. like that but I knew that I had not found the thing that was going to give me a buzz if you know what I mean yeah. uh, you spend so much time working for me it's important that I enjoy it yeah. um, it's all very well sort of saying oh, I'm going to go to work earn a load of money and that will pay for the life that I want but actually you know you end up doing 12 14 hour days yeah. And there is no life to enjoy around yeah, that. that's so, the life, isn't it? The it is. work is, is the life. So most of it. I kind of worked that out quite early on. But what I hadn't worked out early on was what was I going to do instead? So I ended up doing that for a long time. And, yeah, by, it wasn't all bad by any yeah. means. But I wasn't getting any satisfaction from that. And I guess beer was something I'd been into for a long time. Right. So you, you were, you were uh, an enthusiastic, not yeah. just an enthusiastic drinker, but... a yeah. And interested, interested in beer. Yeah, in beer, but also beer culture. Yeah. So everything around beer, I suppose. Pubs and uh, beer festivals and travelling to yeah. go to places which had good beer. Yeah. The social side of it, all yeah. of that sort of stuff. So I guess in that regard, it seemed it's, it's an obvious, it was an obvious mm. route to take. But it wasn't something I'd sat on for five, ten years thinking, oh, when I get the money, when I get the chance, right. we'll go and do it. Darren and I were over in Belgium, um, sat in Ghent, I think, at the time just talking about you know life and mm. the future and all those kind of things he was just about to sell his business that he'd set up um, I just paid off my mortgage and we were kind of saying to each other look if there's anything you know now is the time if we're going to do something together now is the time to do something otherwise we'll never do it and you know we were just looking at each other sat over a pair of beers that we, we were really enjoying and said we'd seen what was starting yeah. to come out of the UK and just thought to ourselves, why not? Let's give it a go. If we don't do it now, then we never will. Let's have a bit of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you want, you want to do something you enjoy doing day in, day out. Yeah. And obviously, sitting, scrubbing tanks and cleaning them down isn't, isn't the picture in your head. But sitting in a pub, seeing people enjoy what you've made, having pride in what it is you're producing, something very tangible that you can hand on to somebody else and watch them enjoy it, is, there is no other feeling mm-hmm. like that. So... For me, that's the, it's a far easier way to get satisfaction out of what I'm doing yeah. than you know, sending someone a report that says you should do this, that and the other and you'll make more money. And, and you've, you, it's, it's got, yeah, I know the answer to this, but it's been, it was a good choice, <laughs> man. It was a positive yeah, choice. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. change it. Yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, 
there are days, I'm sure, yes, where I want to pack it all in and say, what the hell am I doing? But, I mean, that's where the idea of Runaway, I guess, yeah. the, the name kind of came from. That's what it felt like Darren and I were kind of doing right. at the time. It's so, it's sort of, it was a flippant comment in the pub. What does it feel like we're doing? Well, it kind of feels like we're... Oh, part of it was sort of like a new, an adventure, I suppose, and part of it sort of felt like we are, we're not doing the sensible thing here. Yeah. We're kind of saying... <laughs> Christ, we're leaving leaving behind all this security. We're taking a risk. We're going to do something totally different, and that's that, so that's how it felt at the time. So, um, did either of you, or do either of you have partners, families you had to convince sure. about this? Always, <laughs> yeah, always. I don't, it, we didn't take that much convincing, no. to be honest. No, I think the people close to you always know when you're not happy, yeah. and I think. Once people realised that we weren't just sort of saying, oh, we're going to open a brewery, it'd be fun, won't it? Let's just throw some money at it. Um, it was, I think once people realised we were serious, we were taking it seriously, we we were going to go 100% in to do it. I mean, I literally, within a month of that conversation in Ghent, handed my notice in and said, right, that's it. If I'm going to do this, it's got to be 100%. I can't just do it on the side or on weekends. Yeah. I needed something in my life which was my going to be my yeah. my big focus, I suppose, and and so this definitely fulfils that. Well, you've done a good job, Mike. For the for the sake of the listener, it's a. Do you want to describe where we are? Yeah, we're in a um, obligatory railway arch, um, which is clad in aluminium from floor to ceiling. It's quite tall. It's a bit kind of. I, <laughs> I like to think of it as our cathedral to beer. <laughs> That's not true. I just uh, thought it sounded good. But um, it's yeah, it's, it's quite a tall arch, yeah. so it's maybe six, seven metres in height. So it does have quite a striking appearance, I suppose, thanks to all the cladding and what have you. But then other than that, yeah, we've built everything else. So it's, it's all sterling board and pallets and, and uh, concrete. Um, and I guess a little bit of stainless steel. You seem to have a decent amount of space, man. There's space for you to grow into. That's, that was the idea. Um, obviously, again, it put extra pressure on us when, when we started because yeah. we had more space than we needed. Yeah. But I didn't want to have to move after two years. Yeah. We spoke to a lot of breweries who, were, who really wished they'd taken on something bigger and been a bit more optimistic yeah. when they started. It's a common issue, I think, isn't I, it? I think it probably is, yeah. Um, and we also wanted a space that we could invite people into, yeah. set up temporary bars, have small events. Right. The third Saturday of every month, right. um, we do an event with a street food kind of collective, I suppose, right. run by Grub Manchester. Right. Uh, so we have a food fair outside, and we set up a bar inside, a couple of DJs. We try to make it... Because it's only once a month, we try to make it a good event. Um, we don't really have any aspirations to kind of run permanent tap rooms no. and stuff, but um, we might we might get to that point. Yeah. It's a really great way to get instant impact, instant feedback uh, from the people drinking your beer. It's nice to share what we do with everybody else. Otherwise, you know, there's two of us banging around in this yeah. great big vacuous space how much beer are you selling at those, those have you been running this for a little while uh, yeah the, well I, we've done we've done a few one off events this year's the first time we've taken it yeah. regular so we've only done two so far this year but yeah we get through a fair you amount do. of beer yeah yeah that's about, you know, that's, and, that, and that's the best way there's no middleman you're making the beer you're selling the beer sure here. sure um, having said that there's a, quite a lot of disruption right. to production as a okay. result you got Friday so, and Monday what you, you at least at yeah, least right. the week before and the week after we don't tend to do as well as really we do right. the rest of the month yeah. so although yes we you know obviously we do it so that we can make a bit of money yeah. too I think if it was just the money we wouldn't do it right. um, it's not yeah. it's not that worthwhile yeah. for us at the moment yeah.
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's your uh, production schedule? Are you brewing every day? No, uh, two to three times a week. Right. But you're in every day. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, we obviously need to package the beer, deliver mm-hmm. the beer, sell the beer. Right. Are you do- and, sorry, I, I, I was asking you about the, the, the brewing, but it never, never occurred to me. So you're doing the delivering yourself as well? You're dropping oh, of course. The beer? Yeah, 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 everything. Yeah. Um, we have one or two guys that help us out from time to time. Yeah. But, yeah, basically, when I started two years ago, yeah. I did every job. Right. So... For the first 12 months, well, I only managed to brew once a week. Right. Because the other six days, we were busy doing other things. Yeah. So we're now two people full-time. We have a guy who helps part-time. We've got an apprentice starting in a couple of weeks' time Excellent. as well. It looks like you've got one already, man. It looks like it's... A, like yeah, it's, it's getting there. It's, like it's, uh, it's getting there. Close to beat. <laughs> yeah, definitely getting there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and, and have you got plans... For ex, not, not necessarily expansion out of this property, but increasing your kit size or your capacity. What's are you happy with the with the, with the output at the minute? I th- it's a it's a common question that I get. Yeah. Um, I'd like if we could have done. I'd like to have started at ten barrel. Right. That's kind of the level I'd like to get yeah. to. I like being small. I like being flexible. I like the fact that we can um, change our mind and do something else the yeah. next day. I like the fact that we don't end up in a situation where we, we're going to feel like we're putting huge amounts of pressure on ourselves to do certain things. Mm-hmm. We're, we're able to adapt really quickly and do all sorts of different yeah. stuff. It means we can brew the sort of beer we want to brew and keep it within the sort of cost limits that we want to do. I, I, I appreciate that. I think there's definitely something to be said for... If you compare your wages for, of your staff yep. and you, you keep your head above water and you can maintain enthusiasm and... In a, in, a, in a fun working environment where, you, where you're making what you want to make, not because not something you're forced to make because you've oversold or because you've, contract you've, you've contracted. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that sounds pretty idyllic to me. Yeah, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know if it works. But yeah, I mean that is genuinely the plan. Yeah. Um, I wanted a nicer life. 
Yeah. So good for you, Mum. That's and everyone who comes and works here, you can tell within ten minutes that they're they're yeah. in the same sort of yeah sort of ballpark, you yeah. know. So I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, there is always that little temptation over your shoulder, sort of saying, "Hey, you know, you, this is becoming more popular. You could do more of this. Why don't you just churn out a lager? Yeah. You know, our, our Metz and Mars and lager goes down really well when we brew it." Mm. Every customer I've got in Manchester says to me, "Why don't you do a lager? We buy it off you. We definitely buy it off you." And the reason I tell them is because I would spend all day, every day, making lager yeah. for you guys. Yeah. And that isn't what we set this up to do. We set this up to make beer that excites us mm. and and is keeps things interesting and, and means that life you know and our job has an element of fun to it we're not just here to be a factory producing the same product over and over and over again that at a micro scale doesn't make any sense mm. to me it doesn't make any sense to me at all um, but you know there's a lot of people out there customers out there who want to be able to say oh I've got micro brewed lager not this volume stuff well good for you but that, that, that to me is a completely different mindset, it's a completely different setup, it's a completely different place to the one that we inhabit yeah. here. So come and see me in five years and let's see. If I'm churning out lager, you can, you can point I'll pull this back to you. Yeah, absolutely. What's that you said about lager, mate? <laughs> hey, look, I've got nothing hey, against not lager. Me we, neither. We not brew me one. Neither. Yeah, um, not. But, but yeah, volume lager, mass produced lager is the thing that I guess is one of the things that we're reacting against mm. um, along with you know a lack of choice at, in mm. a pub it's it's not long ago that going to a pub was a very monotonous experience mm. where you would go and see the same yeah. five six things on tap that was my youth you know it was, yeah. it was that that was that mine too yeah and I go back to the town I grew up in and I struggle to get anything different today. Yep. I, I was drinking bottles of, and I'm not complaining about this for one second, I found a pub with Saison Dupont in bottles, and I was happy to drink drinking that on. I but if I was on, if I was stuff on cask. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't great, and the stuff on keg was even worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. The, the, the little pokey town I grew up in, I think Weatherspoons have turned up now, so they've probably got yeah. one or two bits and pieces. You get a leg and eat it in But otherwise, maybe, yeah, yeah, otherwise it's, you know, it's Foster's and Carling and Carlsberg and Guinness and yeah. Worthington's Extra Smooth and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, and, yeah, the variability of cask beer is, is enormous in terms of quality, I mean. Mm. Well, yeah, where I grew up, it's still the case that you're lucky if you get a cask ale that yeah. is that is not been sat on for five six mm. days and it's really past its mm. best um it is it's difficult i mean that's one of the reasons why we decided to do keg beer yeah i was gonna ask you about that you, that was a conscious decision from day one not to do uh, cask yeah um it was driven primarily as i say by my experience as a young person in northamptonshire mm. who wanted to find good beer and eight out of ten terrible mm-hmm. one out of ten tolerable one out of ten decent yeah. and we found when you went to places like Manchester mm. which is obviously there's more people here interested in that kind of beer there's a much bigger market for yeah. it you can you really get a feeling for how uh, how much better real ale could be represented yeah. so we were very much tainted I suppose by that experience growing up and you know I'm saying Manchester's a good example mm. of somewhere you could still go to plenty of pubs in Manchester and have a bad pint. Oh, yeah. So as a producer, it seemed obvious to me that I, I would want to keep control over the quality of the product. 
and not kind of hand it over to a landlord mm. and say, I've put my heart and soul into yeah. this, do what you want to yeah. it. Because um, it's not the landlord that gets judged by the pub, by the people mm. drinking in the pub, it's the brewer. Yeah. So we still condition our beers, yeast condition our beers in the kegs. Right. So that's relatively unusual. Yeah, which uh, John mentioned that before. Which, that was also a conscious decision not to, not to transfer to CT and force carbonate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we do still transfer across to another tank and, mm. and uh, package from that but it's more to do with controlling yeast levels and right. priming levels and that kind of stuff. Um, we've got a carbonation stone in there, and if mm. we want to use it, we can. Right. But I feel that beer which is carbonated using yeast has a softer level of carbonation. I think it avoids the potential for... S- sometimes you get a little bit of harshness when, when you have a forced carbonated mm. beer. So I prefer mm. um, yeast-conditioned, yeast-carbonated beer. Having said that, again, if we weren't doing it at a tiny scale, which we are, that would be an incredibly difficult thing mm. for us to do. Are you, so are you just introducing some unfermented work to, 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 the, to, the, to, the, to the beer before, or, or before packaging, or are you adding more fresh yeast? We, no, we, um, we don't add any yeast. We um, effectively monitor the amount of yeast we've got mm. in the fermenting vessel, the mm. original fermenter. Once that yeast level has dropped down to the level that we need it to yeah. be, we'll transfer it across to another tank. We'll add a small amount of sugar, right? Depending on the carbonation level we want the beer to be at, right? Depending on the style you want. Yeah, at. exactly. Uh, calculate that on the basis of volume and also how much yeast is yeah. left in the in the beer. Uh, we'll recirculate that to homogenise it essentially, mm-hmm. and then because it's kept at a cool temperature in the tank it's not fermenting at that moment we'll package it into bottles and into kegs and then we put all of that into a warm room Mm -hmm. which essentially reactivates the yeast and goes puts it through a secondary fermentation process was that was there a little bit of well there must have been some trial now but did you have any 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 hiccups with that in the early days because we didn't we didn't you didn't have any any Um, completely flat beer you didn't have any massively explosive beers the only beer we've had that has been problematic is is the lager right and that's because that particular yeast mm. activates at um, it doesn't attenuate out as mm-hmm. quickly as ale yeast yeah. so there's a higher level of residual fermentability in the beer before we're priming it which we didn't realise early on and secondly the yeast continues to work at low, lower temperatures mm-hmm. which is traditionally where how yeah. lager is yeah. fermented of course so in a, in a 12 degree cellar if there's any sugar left in that beer whatsoever that yeast will keep going yeah. so we did end up with a couple of kegs and a few bottles which were at higher levels of carbonation than we designed yeah. but we, we've never been at the stage where we've had anything explode or burst no. the level of sophistication we've got here is not mm. high as you can see mm. but there are certain things we take it seriously and there are certain things that we we do tests to double check what we're doing all the time and having a warm room helps. We can essentially put beer in there and false age it, I suppose, mm. over time. So that gives us an idea about what to expect in six months. And we can do that over six weeks. Um, if we want to find out how much residual fermentability is left in the beer, we can take it out of tank, put it into a bottle or something and stick it in that warm room. Yeah. And we'll have an idea about yeah. that kind of speeds yeah. up that process, which gives us an idea about where our final att- attenuation yeah. should end up. From there, you can do calculations, yeah. you know. There is information out there that helps you calculate this stuff and work it out. So 
if you are thorough and you take care and you think about it sufficiently, most problems in brewing are surmountable. Mm-hmm. Um, even even with the low level of sophistication <laughs> that we have here, you know, we've got a microscope in the yeah. corner. That's about <laughs> as sophisticated as it gets. And have you, have you had any disastrous brews of only big drain pours? Uh, only the first one, and that really was down to working out the equipment that we'd inherited yeah. or bought. Yeah. Uh, we bought our stuff secondhand from a place down in the Forest of Dean right. who brew much more traditional beer. Yeah. So we'd had to adapt the equipment to suit the fact that we were actually going to put some hops in, for example. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we had, a, we had a few issues with the first brew, which went down the drain. But since then, touch wood, um, we've, been, we've been, I guess, fortunate, but also, I guess... <laughs> scared enough mm-hmm. that we make sure we do it properly yeah. <laughs> because we're not doing going down the traditional route of Cascale mm-hmm. um, it's particularly important to me that I think people's expectation of beer on, on keg when mm-hmm. it serves through that dispense is different to that of people who perhaps uh, on, on cask who are more used to saying oh do you know what he hasn't quite got that one mm-hmm. right yet but it's all, it's all right mm-hmm. whereas something that's coming out uh, dispense keg wise you haven't got haven't had until now perhaps such a um, well I was going to say educate that's not the right word an informed uh, customer perhaps mm-hmm. as those who've kind of spent the last 20, 30, 40 years um, drinking drinking cascale so we needed we knew that we needed to we had fewer outlets to send our beer to mm-hmm. we knew we couldn't afford lots of hiccups because as soon as you've done that You've, you've got a long road back to try and persuade people oh no it's got better this time yeah. that's tough man once, people, once, once you make someone's mind up for them it's, it's yeah. difficult to get them back on side and I, and I knew that from my own experience with yeah. drinking beer as, as a, young, as a mm. young lad so yeah getting it right was very very important yeah. and, it, and it continues to be um, I don't think you can ever sort of sit back and say oh we've got this sus now mm. as soon as you do that you fall behind and you start to lose focus and your quality will dip so that's the one thing we've got. We've, we haven't got a marketing department. No. We haven't got um, sales reps running up and down the country mm. telling everybody how great our beer is. We're not producing something at such a high volume that we can charge nothing mm. for it. Um, so the, the one thing that we have to get right is the beer. And that acts as our marketing tool. That acts as our, um, our face to the drinking public, I suppose. So if, if the beer isn't right, then people will know and we'll disappear there's lots of ways to do but it seems like that should be the way that it's done it does seem yeah you're right I mean don't get me wrong there are plenty of people out there that will just put in some really good marketing and persuade you that way but we haven't got that resource and 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 it's not what we'd want to do anyway the beer's the marketing the beer speaks for itself it's also a much easier way to have a conversation like this Mm. because I can just talk about the beer we make yeah and which is what I want to hear. <laughs> which is what hopefully the Rather listener would want to hear. Tell you a load yeah. of old rubbish about, yeah, yeah. you know. Just a lot of previous bullshit that yeah. you, you tell to everyone who comes along with your microphone. <laughs> yeah, it, it does, I mean, it sounds silly, but it does make promoting the brewery a lot easier because yeah. all you're actually doing is telling people yeah. the truth, what you do every day. That's good. <laughs> so much easier. I appreciate, you, I appreciate you making the beer and I appreciate you doing that for us. One last question before we uh, wrap it up. How do you find? Or do you find? Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. Um, again, because we're relatively small, we've only got one uh, bottling tank. 
at the moment we use findings in the fermenting vessel right. and that's uh, that includes isinglass yeah. which is I guess where your question's headed yeah I was, I was wondering what, what your approach was yeah, to yeah. findings uh, no we do um, we find at each stage mm-hmm. having a relatively bright beer makes our beer more accessible to mm-hmm. a wider audience yeah. so it was important for me to when we set out with our initial process designing our initial process that the process leads to that conclusion. Yeah. Uh, we tried a couple of experiments where we were finding, using fewer findings, mm-hmm. using different findings, yeah. uh, and the only one that has worked for us in the timescales, yeah. with, again, with the level of sophistication we've got here, was to use Isinglass mm-hmm. as part of that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something we're working towards trying to remove, um, but it requires better equipment yeah basically I need better cooling and have you got house yeast no it's all dry yeast Um, so again this comes down to the fact that our uh, a couple of reasons firstly um, our knowledge and experience when we started Mm. when I started was zilch so yeast management looking after yeast having facilities in house whereby we could maintain and keep yeast Mm. in a healthy way when you're brewing once a week Mm. really tough So we're now getting to two to three times a week. That's the kind of level where we could start cropping from one right. and putting into yeah. another. Um, so getting a house yeast or getting a, a couple of yeasts um, designed for us is, probably, is something we're going to be looking at in the next six to 12 months. Mm. That, in combination with reinvesting in the equipment, might well mean that we can get to the same outcome we do now mm. without having to use them, which would be which would be a great thing for us yeah. to be able to do. Um, we're realistic about what our knowledge and skills and experience can achieve, and it's important to me that we we change relatively slowly and relatively gradually as we become more confident, as we become more knowledgeable, mm. rather than again just jumping in headfirst yeah. and saying, "Oh well, we don't need these anymore." Um, We'll, you know, we'll we'll brew something totally differently tomorrow just because we can. Mm. That, that that level of kind of experimentation is beyond my comfort mm. zone. <laughs> but yeah, findings wise, I'd, I'd certainly like to get to a point where we yeah. could we could make relatively bright beer without having to uh, resort to some of the processing aids we mm. do now. Um, because of our process, I, I like to think that most of those are left behind. Yeah. at a certain stage but there's no way I could guarantee that our beer was vegetarian or vegan mm-hmm. because there is uh, Isinglass going yeah. in at, at a stage in the mm-hmm. process um, but the majority of it is left in the fermenting yeah. vessel before we even transfer yeah. and package so it's it's very much at the moment a, pr- a production aid yeah. um, and, and everyone, not, not, not everyone increasingly less people but there's still still the majority of the, of the brewers in the country are using yeah, yeah. fish based fire and well. it's the same in wine yeah. uh, there's an awful lot of Isinglass used in production of wine as well it, it is the most um, from a practical point of view is the most successful route towards clearing out your beer quickly so at the moment um, if we didn't go through the process we do and, and we don't want to filter, which we don't, yeah. then the only way to, to achieve it is, is the, with, with findings, yeah. 
it seems like you, that's something you've put a lot you that you think about quite a bit, man. Doesn't like, you didn't just seem like you gave me a, a stock answer, and that's something that you've given <laughs> a lot of thought to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you can ask me anything about any part of our process. Yeah. I'm afraid <laughs> I obsess over most yeah. of it. Um, the, the difficulty, as we've talked about, is that as a small business, as a small brewery, individuals end up doing getting stretched very thin. Mm. So things, if, if we had the luxury of another two or three people or another two or three tanks, um, then we might be in a position where we could spend more time researching and developing mm. a, approaches to, our, to mm. our process. And that really is, I guess, what we're working towards um, by bringing in an apprentice, by bringing in some part-time mm. staff. It, it frees us up and allows me in particular, mm. I guess, more time to say right okay we're gonna we've got this pot of money or we've got some some money we can reinvest where's the best place to do it yeah. the easy answer is always oh more capacity more mm. capacity you know let's get more tanks from my perspective it may well be spent better improving some of our equipment which yeah. means that we can do better cooling which has a knock-on effect that we may be able to therefore use a yeast which is designed mm -hmm. specifically for yeah. our needs yeah. uh, which would be a great thing to do having said that with all the different styles we're brewing at the moment we couldn't use the same yeast to make a Hefeweizen or a Saison or, or a Pale Ale so to some degree we're always going to have some dried yeasts in-house mm -hmm. we're still going to try and use that because it's a crucial ingredient in beer and there's no way we can keep six or seven yeah, different strains all, going, all going it's just crazy yeah. but the good news is things like Saisons uh, wheat beers we don't find those at all. There's no need. What's the point? No. You're not looking for a bright no, beer, no. so we don't. So, yeah, some of our beer is unfined because the style allows us to do mm. it. But where the, where the style doesn't, we want to try and make our beer as accessible mm. as possible to as wide an audience as possible. And depending on how you look at these things, fortunately or unfortunately, the mass majority of the vast majority of people want, will will drink with their eyes before mm. they before they actually taste a beer. That's the way we've. We've been conditioned over the years. Yeah, it is. It's, no one loves it more than you know, looking over the bar and seeing someone getting a less than perfectly crystal pint. Oh, mate, you want to send that back? Yeah. Oh, that's not right. Yeah, yeah, you still hear it. Yeah. You still hear yeah. it regularly. Yeah. Um, it's gone off that. Yeah. I think I think the important thing is we are all as a as a sort of. Um, as a beer culture, we are changing, mm. and people's taste is changing. The way people think about beer is changing, so that's one of the reasons why it's so exciting being mm. part of beer at the moment. It's a fun journey, and being a little bit of a part of that is great. And we we certainly feel like we are turning people on to beer all the time, who perhaps in the past would never have never have touched it. And you know, I that to me is exciting. Mm. Keeping something recognisably beer-like yeah. for those people is important so, you know, relatively bright focused on traditional beer flavours and ingredients rather than perhaps being too experimental mm. appealing to that wide audience basically appealing to me 20 years mm. ago, you know, that's who I'm yeah. I guess I'm aiming, aiming at because I think we, I think the, our British culture revolves so much around things like pubs and beer mm. that if we were to lose that it would be a real big loss to 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 kind of i don't know wider culture it would feel like too big a change and so i feel i guess like what we're doing is slightly modernizing that tradition of small scale traditional real ale kind of brewing with we're just doing something slightly more modern which 
means that that same traditional product appeals to mm. to, a, to a wider audience, which can only be good for all that that part of British yeah. culture. So when you when you when you're interested in beer and you're involved in the industry, it kind of completely envelops you, and you think that, or, or personally, I thought that it was it was, it was the, the, the the recent upsurge in interest was was actually a stretch wider than it actually has. I thought, you know, every, all my, well, not all my, but a lot of my friends yeah. are very into beer. We talk about it. We, we make beelines for good pubs. We'd all, we're very focused and motivated by it. Last week, I was in Leeds on Friday night. It was in Heddenley, it was outside Leeds, this pub with a huge beer garden. It was lovely and sunny. Yeah. And I sat outside there, lager and cider, 90, then made up 99% of the people drinking yep. pints. And, that, and it, that surprised me, actually. Structure, yeah. yeah, it did, because I thought <laughs> more people were drinking, even if it was, uh, the ale was crapping though, but there was, yeah, maybe yeah. that's why they were drinking. Like hey, look, we, we live in a bubble. I live yeah, in, yeah. in this bubble, and it's really important for me to remember that it is a bubble. Yeah. Um, and you, as you say, there's, there's 10 or 12 pubs yeah. in Leeds City Centre, yeah. as there are here, where you can just go, have a night out, have a, you know, feel as if you're going all over the city yeah. to all these different places yeah. and they just reconfirm the same thing all the time but there are there's we are supplying for example you know an absolute minute percentage mm. of the total places uh in the uk and even in manchester you know there, there are pockets of um bars pubs, restaurants, which are interested in what, mm. in what we're doing and, and what, when I say we, I mean the micro-brewing community, mm. I suppose. And it's very easy to just hang out in those places. Yeah. Um, it, it, there is a long way to go, I think. I think a there really is a long, long way, way to go. go. And, and, it, and you do need to remind yourself of that because, not, not saying you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need to remind what ourselves does, of that yeah. because you do, get, you do get caught up in the bubble and, and, and you, you become... Complacent, you think that everyone's yeah. everyone's into it as much as you are, and that's not the case. Go down your local rugby club or yeah. your local football club mm. and see what they've got behind yeah. the bar. You know, it's when those things start to change, that's when we'll know. Yeah, that's when we'll that's yeah. when we'll have made, made a difference. People people say, uh, this, you know, when the supermarkets change, that's that's the moment we'll know. Mm. I, I'm not so sure about that. Um, we we get in the last six months, we've been approached by quite a few supermarkets. Mm. Um, and you know, I get obviously pop into them occasionally when I have to, um, and I can tell that they they are gaining mm. a lot more interest in this kind of scale stuff. And yeah, maybe there's a lot of positives in the sense that it it will get more people interested. Hello. Hello. Hey Sam, how you doing? How are you yeah, are good, you? thank you. Oh yeah, are, yeah, a little oh, bit. Yeah. Are you after that pallet? <laughs> yeah, crack on, Don't man. We'll, we'll wrap it up anyway. Uh, that one... Have we got enough pallets up there, Jock? No, I need that one, I think. It's just the one. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, we are we're wrapping up. I'm, I'm banging on about the same point as per usual. That's all right, man. No, no, it's, good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good point that he's making. Well, thanks very much. I really appreciate your time, and I wish you and Runaway all the best of luck, man. Thank you very much. I enjoy getting all your beers, and I look forward... I don't think I've ever drank anything on tap, though. I think I've, I've had plenty of bottles, but I look forward to... To get in a pint. Turk's Head, 25th. Turk's Head? Oh, you got some up there? Meet the brewer. Oh, nice. John's coming over. 25th so. for this month? Yeah. Oh, nice one. Part right. of Leeds. Um, Leeds in your food? Yeah. Cool. Wicked. See so, you there. See you there, maybe. Thanks very much, man. Thanks Take for coming. That's good.
professional you guys are. What a sound block. Had a really good time afternoon over in Manchester. Thank you very much to Mark and thanks very much to John for your time and plying me with free ale. That's always a massive bonus. I really like what they're doing over there. It's a, they've got a lovely setup. They, they, they seem like they've got a nice ethos and yeah, I've got a lot of time for, for Runaway and those guys. So thanks again. And thanks to you guys out there for listening. This is the fourth episode and next week you will be able to tune into a little treat from the left field. I won't say any more about that one. Don't get yourself, don't get your hopes up too much though. But until then, have a good week. Thanks very much for listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at taplenspodcast or you can email us at taplenspodcast at gmail.com. There's been a couple of vicious rumours going around that you've been saying Taplens Podcast isn't a back bedroom production. Well, I'm here to say that's absolute bollocks because it was produced by me, Gaz Eaton, and the music and production support was done by Dan Jagger. And it is a back bedroom production, as is Tapes and Tales, and as is the Idiot Wind World Music Mixtape. And if you don't believe me, you can get them checked out yourself. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.